That was pretty amazing. Well, good morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? As epic as I am? I hope. Uh, well, turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be finishing up Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. But I need for you to just put a little bookmark there in Hebrews chapter 12 because uh, we're going to go somewhere else and I'll tell you where in a few minutes. But I've told you if you've been here for a while as we've gone through the, the book of Hebrews here that there are five warnings that the writer gives to these Hebrew readers of the day. And it's been a while for us since the last time we went through one of the warnings. But the readers of this letter, they got it all in one sitting. They, they read this whole letter that was written to them all at one shot. And so they got all five warnings all at one time. And so they had to process all that as they've, they read through it, all these warnings. I mean, for us, as we've been kind of going through it, it's taken us months to get through it. And I, I looked up the last time um, that we went through a warning uh, the fourth warning, and that was in February chapter, uh, chapter, chapter 3, February 3rd. That was the last time that we saw a warning in this book, and that was in, in chapter 10. And so we've kind of just been taking our time, but now we've gotten to the fifth and final warning. And this warning was meant for the believer. It was meant for the readers of this book, the believers of that day, and I truly believe that these warnings are to be heeded by us as believers today, we are to heed the warning, just like they did back then. The believers of that day were facing some, some pressures that day. They were dealing with a lot. They had trials coming upon them. They had these pressures coming upon them. They had the persecution from, from those who were still following after Judaism because these guys had turned their back. On Judaism. And all the people there were kind of giving them a hard time. And there was no small thing for, for these believers because they were being pressured from all sides. And here they are, they've experienced Jesus in their life, and yet these religious leaders are pressuring them, are putting this, this pressure to where they're even persecuting them. And so now these believers are vacillating between going back or continuing to move forward. And so he gives them these warnings. And I want to reference these warnings and give you the scripture so you can go back and look at these warnings. Again, it was no small thing for these guys, but they, because of these pressures and these trials and these tribulations, um, these, these, these persecutions, some of them began drifting from the Word, as it shared with us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They began to drift a little bit. Then they started to, to doubt the Word. They began doubting the Word uh, in Hebrews 3, 7 to 4, 13, which caused them to become dull from hearing the Word or towards the Word. And that was in Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 20. 
They began to stop their ears because of that. Which resulted in some of them despising the word. And that's what we looked at in, in Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 20, uh, 20 or 39. And they began to despise it. Again, the pressures that were coming against them. And because of all that that was happening in their lives, now they were in danger of disobeying the very word of God. And that's what this warning has to deal with. That now, because of all these other things that they have allowed in their lives to where they're drifting and doubting and becoming dull and despising, now they're even in danger of just downright disobeying the very Word of God. And so I'm assuming that you've put a bookmark there in Hebrews chapter 12, and I will too. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 19. And I want to turn to Exodus, and we're going to do a lot of reading, so bear with me. A lot of reading. But I want to do this, I need to do this in my heart, to be able to set the stage for what we're going to read and what we're going to cover this morning in Hebrews, so that we can get the fuller picture, a better understanding of this whole thing, of, uh, uh, of this fifth and final warning. that the writer is trying to convey to the reader. And so Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you. And, will, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpets sound long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains, on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpets was very loud, so that the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. 
Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break down against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Turn over to Exodus 20, beginning in verse 18 to 26. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightning flashes and sound of the trumpet and the, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You shall, you have been, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to me with, uh, to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and will bless you. And if you make an altar of stone, it shall not be built of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. It's vital, it's important for us to be in Exodus, to, to see what is in Exodus. Now that we, that we have Exodus under our belt, per se, here, and now that we have what we have read floating around in our little pea brains up here, now it can give us, hopefully, a better understanding of what we are going to read in chapter 12, the last portion of chapter 12 of Hebrews. So go back to Hebrews chapter 12, and we will read it in total so we can see this whole thing. 
Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? And if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have, turn, who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards when he wanted the inheritance, the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempests, and the sound of trumpets and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded that if so, that and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so tes- uh, terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion." And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the 
general assembly and the church of the firstborn who is registered in heaven to God, the, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not reject or refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That, my friends, is a lot of reading. Try doing it up here. Some of you guys would be like, awesome to do it. But I really felt that I needed to do all this reading, even though you guys have to like be patient with me. And my hopes was that you would understand and see basically all of Hebrews has been the fifth warning. Basically, he has been warning us throughout the book or, or throughout chapter 12. He has been kind of like, like getting, getting this warning across, but I, 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 when, we, when we get to verse 18 to the end of the chapter is when we get the brunt of the warning. It's almost like through this chapter we've been getting the talking to. And now when we get to this part, it's like, here you go. Here's the point. Pay attention to this part. Because from verses 18 to 21... He begins to give us the contrast of what it was like in the Old Testament. The the way it was back then. And he says, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. In other words, he is saying, you have not come to a physical mountain here. You have not come to a material mountain that you can go and touch and feel. You haven't come to that. That's for the Old Testament. That's for the OT. That's what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And what we read in Hebrews, or not Hebrews, in Exodus, to me, as I read through this, as I studied it, as I just lingered in it, it just, it was an awesome display of who God is. As we read through the, the, the whole scene as God speaks to Moses and says, I want to talk to you and I want to talk to the people of Israel. Verbally. Out loud. So that you can hear my voice. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. Awesome, epic, Amen. crescendo type, bam! That's how, to me, as I was reading that, I'm going, yes! This word awesomeness, as I was looking at it and looking up words that would be associated with it, words that are associated with this awesomeness are terrible, dreadful, horrifying. Ah. 
to where you you like, ah. And that's where we get our word awesome from, I think. I didn't look that one up. But it's, it's that kind of... Uh, that kind of, 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 of thing when you're in this presence and you're beginning to see what's going on on this mountain that you're just standing there going, oh, oh, awesome. <laughs> you know what I'm saying to where it's just like, you, 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 you almost can't comprehend it. And the people of Israel there, God is, is, is saying, I want to speak to you. And they're saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. They're understanding the, the awesome judgment of God here. They're realizing if we hear God speak, we could probably die off of this. And so I don't know if I want to hear Him speak. And so it's interesting because they go, No, Moses, why don't you go up there, bro? You go talk to God. Because I'm sure they're thinking, if Moses dies, hey, we'll get another leader. Because they're thinking, you're going to hear the voice of God. And if you hear the voice of God, you could probably die. And they're going, we don't want to hear it. We're going to stand afar off, and you go talk to Him, Moses. They are understanding, they are begging Him. You be our go-between. You be the one that kind of does this whole thing. And you just tell us what God wants from us, and we'll do it. Yeah, right. If you know the story. But they're saying, man, lest we die. Again, people, they are understanding the awesome display of God's awesomeness here. They understand it fully. And they understand any disobedience of what God has commanded Moses to go tell his people, any disobedience, bam, instant judgment. They will die. They will, they will die. He says, if they do this, if they disobey, don't even touch them. <laughs> Stone them. Shoot them with an arrow. Don't even come close to them if they've been disobedient. Dude, that's pretty hardcore that, that these disobedient people, if any of them was stupid enough to go do that, it's like he's telling the rest of them, don't go touch them. You don't even want to come near them and their disobedience. And this is how serious and terrifying this whole scenario is that even Moses says in verse 21, it says that Moses says, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He is the one that God has talked to and he's still afraid. Exceedingly. He's shaking in his boots understanding how serious this whole thing is. It is quite possible, as this whole thing is, is being played out, that God wants to talk to him, it is quite possible that he sends his, his, his sidekick, Joshua, to go get his brown pants as he's going to go meet with God. <laughs> Thinking, ah, ah, I need my brown pants, I think. Now, I know that might sound a little gross, but understand this. This is how awesome this is. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're like completely terrified and you're getting something in your tummy here. that you're going, oh, geez, I think I got to go to the bathroom. Because the fear that you have, and it's almost like, 
at any moment, something might disengage. <laughs> because I am so scared right now. Again, I, it, it, it's that serious that Moses is even going, I don't know if I could even do this. I'm fearing, I'm trembling here. Because they understand that hearing the voice of God, you could die. And we, we like, yeah, right, these little sissies. It's like, no, you cannot see God or hear Him without dying. When Moses was, in the, was up there, he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. He's like, Moses, you don't even know what you're asking for. Because if I let you see that, you're going to die. But he did speak to him. But again, man, this is the severity. And I wanted to emphasize the severity of what it means to see and to hear the awesomeness of God. What comes with the judgment of God? Because of disobedience. And even Moses was afraid of this whole thing. He didn't take it lightly. You see, Mount Sinai was the place that the law was given. That is where the law was brought forth and it brought forth judgment and death. And they understood this very well. They did not take that lightly in some sense. Moses didn't for sure. He understood. You see, the law could never allow us access to God. The law would never allow anybody access to God. And even those who did have access to God, they had to come with blood, and even then they were trembling to go into the presence of God. And they didn't linger long there. They knew the severity of being in the presence of God. There was fear and trembling. But we get to verse 22. To 24. And this is what the writer is trying to get across to them, giving them the contrast between what we read in Exodus, what he was talking about here, when he says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. You have come to the spirits of just men made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and you have come to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Aaron. Whoa. These other people would not even dare come to the bounds and cross it because they knew what would await them. Instant judgment and death. And he's telling them here, you have been invited to Mount Zion. You don't have to go to Mount Sinai. You have been invited to Mount Sinai or, or, or Zion and you can come in boldly. It's like, whoa, what a contrast. What a difference from the OT to the NT here, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Man, what a vast difference that you and I have been invited to come openly and this is what you get. This is what you see. This is what's awaiting you. All these things. 
Again, the, the, the old covenant, there had to be a distance between the people and God in Mount Sinai. But when you come to Mount Zion, there is no distance. He doesn't want any distance. He doesn't want you to stand afar off and, and get into this, this thing with God. He wants you up close and personal. He has invited you in to come to the very throne room of grace where He dwells, where He speaks. That's where He wants us. And so it's almost like here in this warning that He's giving them, He's going, what? you have this and then you have that. Which one do you want? You have been invited to come in. Once again, the, the writer here has done what he's done throughout this whole letter, is given the, the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He is constantly doing that because he's wanting them to remember what they have received already. All these people that were persecuting them, they were still living under the Old Covenant and they were still going to, to, to Mount Sinai, basically. They didn't have access to God. And he's saying, you have that. You have the opportunity to come to Mount Zion. That's what you've been invited to. You can experience that right now. And they were. But now they're thinking, well, man, this pressure, these trials, these persecutions, should I go back or should I go to Mount Zion? And he's going, this is what I've given you. This is what God has given us. Mount Zion was a, 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 a physical place. It was the city of David, Jerusalem. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not referring to the physical Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem would be destroyed in a few years from this writing. It wouldn't exist for a time. And so he's not saying, hey, come to the physical Mount Zion. He's not saying that. He's saying, you come to, to, to the spiritual Mount Zion. He's talking about the city of God. The heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about the city that the Old Testament saints were waiting for. The city whose builder and maker is God. He's talking about something that was spiritual. That they had already received. Because they had the Spirit of God living inside of them. Because they could only obtain this invitation or this heavenly Jerusalem in the spiritual realm, and by faith. All those who had gone before them, the Old Testament saints that he talked to them about, they died in faith, waiting for that. They hadn't received the promises, and yet these readers here already had it through Jesus Christ. And yet they're being pressured to go back. They're, 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 they're being persecuted to let go of what they're believing in and go back to what they can see, feel, and touch. The writer not only tells the readers and us that God Himself is there in verse 22, but He begins to tell them who else is there. Who, who else are citizens of this heavenly Jerusalem? He says, you have come to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly. 
The angels make, par- make up part of the general population in heaven. He says, you will be among them and a part of them. That's who you come to. These angels have been referred to as ministering spirits in Hebrews 1.14. They are there at God's bidding and they do what God tells them to do. And another part of the general assembly is the church of the firstborn who, have, who, who are registered in heaven. Those whose names are written in heaven, they are there. Those whose citizenship is not here on earth, but whose citizenship is in heaven, they are there. The church of Jesus Christ is already there. We may not be present, but we are accounted for. We cannot be there because right now we're still ambassadors in a foreign place. We are on mission somewhere else. But our names are written in heaven. And those who are loved ones who have gone before before us are present and accounted for there. They have gotten there and they have signed the registry. They are there waiting for us, rejoicing. They have received the inheritance that we are longing for. That's what he's telling us here. That you have come to God, to the heavenly city, to Jerusalem, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the, 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 the angels, and to the church that's registered here, and you have come to the God who is the judge of all. The same judge that we read about in Exodus. We have come to him, but there's a different relationship now. We come boldly into his kingdom. We come with with confidence because He is our dad. We come confident because He has called us and written our name in in the book of life. We're not coming to Mount Sinai. We're coming to Mount Mount, uh, Zion. You see, He sent the ultimate payment. And sin was judged on the cross. That's why we get the access. Because of that. And then he says, And you have come to the spirits of just men made perfect. These inhabitants are the Old Testament saints. Those who could never have been made perfect under the law. But they waited for the promise. They died in faith. And they have received the long-awaited promise. And he says, and you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus, the go-between, the agent that makes all of this happen. That's who we have come to as well. The one who has made it possible through salvation, through his death. Because without him, there is no way, truth, or life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way that, that we can have access to the Father because He is the leader and the source of our faith. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And He is in heaven as well, at the right hand of the Father. And He's telling us this is how we can come because we've been invited to Mount Sinai. Zion. And he says, and you have come to the blood 
of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The Bible tells us in Revelation 5-6 that we will know who Jesus is when we get to heaven because he will look like a, a, a lamb that has been slain. Now, I don't know exactly if that's what is meant here, that we will see the scars or we will see how, what it took, the blood that was sprinkled on our behalf. But we have learned that Abel's blood still speaks in Hebrews 11:4. But we have learned also that Jesus' blood speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood speaks from earth and cries for justice for what happened to him. But Christ's blood speaks from heaven and announces mercy for sinners. Abel's blood made Cain feel guilty and rightly so. And it drove him away in despair. But the blood of Christ frees us from guilt and it opens up a way for us to be in the presence of God. What a contrast, guys. True contrast. Were it not for the blood, we would not have a new covenant. We would not be able to partake in communion and have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ if it wasn't for the blood. It is truly because of the blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that is the complete work of salvation. It is all done. And you know what? It was God who required that blood. He is the one that required blood so that we can have that, that fellowship with Him. And Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even the, the death of the cross, it tells us, in Philippians 2.8. And so with that kind of obedience on Christ's part, how could we disobey the very word that speaks today? How could we disobey that word? Why would we? When we look at verses 25 to the end of the chapter here, he says, See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. It's almost like the writer now gets to the final point of the warning here. Make sure you don't refuse and turn, turn away or turn your back from this because it will be disobedience. It will be disobeying the very Word of God who speaks. Refusing Him who speaks. And the writer makes it personal in that he is saying, in essence, to the reader of that day, God is speaking to you now. That's what it means right there. God is speaking to you now. And I would say, that the reader of today needs to heed the warnings. We need to heed the warnings as well because God is speaking to you today. To you. When God spoke back then, and it was only the earth that shook, and men understood the awesomeness of God, when he spoke and everything shook. That's God's power. Truly God's power. But that will not compare to what he will do in the future. In the millennial time, at the end of the millennial time, where it says not only will he shake the earth, but he will shake the heaven. 
the heavens, the stars, the outer part, which is a quote from Haggai 2.6. That's how awesome God is. That He is able to shake not only the earth, but everything. That's how big He is. That's how awesome He is. And I will say this, and then we'll get back to our text in a little bit. I've got a little soapbox up here for a little bit. I will say this, God is in control of everything in this world, guys. He is in control of everything. There is nothing that man can do to destroy this planet. Nothing. Guys, we are being sold a bill of goods right now. With, with, with all this green stuff and, and, and stuff, we need to be good stewards of all that God has given us. No doubt. He has made us to be good stewards of all these things. But we cannot do anything apart from God controlling everything here. We are not good enough. We are not big enough. Man wants to be relevant that we are going to cure everything. We can't. God can. And when a natural disaster happens, we see the power of God. And that area of the world gets destroyed and and within time it will heal itself because God is in control. But we cannot make this earth any better than God has made it already. And He is the one that heals this earth. And you know what? When we see in Revelation that when all the plagues come, there will be billions of people dying. And guess what? The earth still turns. Anything that happens, we can, we can let off all the nuclear weapons that everybody has. And guess what? The earth will still turn. And God will heal this, this land. He is able to do that because when a volcano lets loose, it, it lets out more poison than we can ever do in a hundred years. And yet it still turns. We're not big enough, but God is. And if He is able to make this earth shake, He he is able to make this earth and the heavens shake. That's who we fear, not man. That's who we fear. Now get off the soapbox, back into the text. The warning is stern here. Do not refuse Him who speaks. Do not be disobedient to the very Word of God that is speaking to you now. This warning, again, is for believers. And it says, we shall not escape. We shall not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven. What will it gain you, believer? What will it gain you if you turn away? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If anything, you will miss out on the grace and the blessings that come from Him who speaks from heaven. There's nothing back there for you. If you turn your back right now, there's nothing back there for you. To the believer, look at the contrast between what we read in Exodus and what we're reading here. The awesomeness of God. Those people understood it. They understood judgment will come instantly. Let us not take it lightly. Disobeying Him who speaks. The contrast between Mount Zion 
uh, Sinai and Mount Zion are huge. What is so attractive that we would turn our backs on that? Was the temporary trials and pressures and, 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 and persecution that these guys were going through, was it worth them turning their back? Was what they were believing in able to be shaken? Because if it was, maybe they had a false sense of security because there was no security whatsoever. And the question should be asked, were they even saved if they can be shaken like that? Now the writer of this letter has never, in all the warnings that he gives in this letter, has never used it to tell them that they could lose their salvation. And he has never told them that they were now in danger of losing salvation. But it seems that he was asking them, why would you refuse to hear him? Why would you refuse if you are truly saved? If the contrast is so vast between the old and the new, why? And I ask you, believer, what's so, what's so attracting back there? What's attracting you back there? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it to refuse the voice of Him who speaks from heaven? That which is in the kingdom of God, that which belongs to the kingdom of God will not be shaken. It will remain, no matter what comes against you. There will be a point in history, in the future, that God will remove all that is not eternal. And He will discard it. So that only that which is eternal will remain for the new heaven and the new earth. After each of these warnings that the writer has given, He has always given them also an encouragement. And there's no difference here. He is encouraging them. When you look at verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, because of, if we're receiving this kingdom, He is encouraging them. Let us be thankful. Let let us bask in that grace that we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Ever. God never gets shaken. So because of that, we are to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. If we are with God and He is on our side and He has received us as His own, it is our only reasonable service to worship Him, to fear Him in awe of who He is. He is a consuming fire, truly a consuming fire, and yet He is on our side. As believers, we should be in awe 
of who God is and we should understand what he is capable of. And then just fall on our face and worship <laughs> because he is a consuming fire. We should worship him not out of fear, like, oh, I'm scared, but in fear, a good, healthy fear of who he is because he speaks and we should be in awe when he speaks. To know that God is a consuming fire. Why would we fear man and what man says? Why would we even fear him? Anything. <laughs> he will shake the earth and he will shake the heaven one day. That's how powerful our God is. And we have a decision to make, each and every one of us, because God is a consuming fire. Will we heed the warnings and remain or disobey and be shaken? Fire is a good thing and fire can be a bad thing. <laughs> I am so glad to be on the side of the consuming fire of God. <laughs> I am so glad to be on that side. And you have a decision to make. And if you are a believer, then do not fear. He has called you into Mount Zion. Come on in. Come on in. It's safe here. You don't have to be at a distance. Come on in. That's how awesome he is. And if you're here and you don't know him, ah, hope you're wearing brown pants. <laughs> it is a fearful thing to not know God like that because he will shake the heavens one day. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer, peeps. Father in heaven, again, we want to bless you and thank you, Lord. Lord, when we see a display of your awesomeness, of who you are, when we see that the people in the Old Testament feared that, Lord, that they didn't even want to come close to you, they'd rather somebody else, Lord. Yet you have called us in the New Testament, Lord, with this new covenant, to come into the throne room of grace with boldness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. I pray that, God, you would challenge them with this warning. That, Lord, this morning they would understand who you are and what you are capable of, Lord. And they would surrender. And they would be able, Lord God, to hear him who speaks from heaven and would not re refuse it or reject it that they would draw near. Lord, just help my brothers and sisters in that, Lord. Those who, who are fearing, Lord God, maybe not understanding, Lord, bring them to a place of understanding. Lord, for those who are here who don't know you, who are in fear, Lord God, because they don't know you and they understand that judgment will come upon them, I pray that this morning you would break up that fallow ground and you would bring them to a place, Lord God, where they surrender because you're calling them and you want to write their name in the book of life, Lord. Please, Lord, capture their hearts this morning. Go with us now, I pray. Help us not to be ashamed, Lord, but to stand firm for your glory. Lord, you are a consuming fire. We're so happy to be on your side, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.